Well, as we begin looking at our passage today in Acts uh, 9, 1 through 18, uh, we see the conversion of Saul. And for those of you who may not be familiar with Saul, Saul is later known as Paul. And uh, he was referred to, uh, he referred to himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews and the chief of sinners. He was very good and he was very bad. He uh, uh, was in a very unique place to talk to the Jewish leaders because he had been one of the Jewish leaders himself. And as we begin this passage, we see that he is pursuing Christians. He, he gets a warrant from Jerusalem, kind of an open warrant to go out and gather up followers of the way, it says. And uh, you know what the way is? You know who the way is, don't you? Who is the way? Jesus, Jesus that's right. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so he was going, rounding up people who were followers of the way to take back to Jerusalem. They were being persecuted for following Jesus. And uh, he was breathing murderous threats against them. And uh, he's, uh, and, and I just want to stop here and just say, he seemed so far from God at that moment, even though he was being so religious. You know, he thought he was doing God a favor by getting rid of this Christian riffraff. He really was doing what he thought was a favor to God. He was doing his best to be uh, God's person. And yet this is just it. He was blinded by religion to the truth. And that can happen. You can start off well. Uh, he started off, he had a love of God. He had a love of God's word. He had a love of all the ceremony. He didn't have to keep just 10 commandments. The, the uh, Pharisees, which he was one, had over 600 commandments that they had to keep. And he kept every one of them, he says. He was really trying hard. And then all of a sudden, he meets Jesus. It's amazing. It says here, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? That word persecute is a word that means to follow after with vehemence, like, a, like an army that's following uh, 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 an enemy that it is routing and it's running them down and getting them and, uh, and putting them away. It can mean that. It can also mean to pursue with great passion. And it's the same word that Jesus uses in asking Paul or Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why are you pursuing me? That later on, Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, I press on toward the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
You talk about a changed man. You would never have thought that Saul could be converted to Christianity. And I bring this up because there may be some people that you have just written off. You know, you may know, you may have people close to you that you may have family members. Let's face it, that they are so far from the kingdom of God or so you think the way that they're acting, the their morality or whatever uh, may show that they are far, far from the kingdom of God. And yet all of that can change in a moment. And you can't just write somebody off because they appear to be far from God at the time. Saul, it turns out, he tells, uh, God tells Ananias, he is my chosen vessel. And some of these people, I'll, I'll see people sometime, they're so bad. And they're just pursuing their badness with such vigor. Just like uh, that word for persecutor, to pursue. With great vigor, they go about the things of the world. And yet, I have seen those guys converted and they pursue the things of God with the same power and strength and desire that they pursued just the opposite before. So I'd say this just to give you some hope for those that uh, you may be concerned about. Don't quit praying for them. Don't quit praying for them. You don't know uh, anyway, because this is you, you may be thinking like Paul is the least likely guy ever to become a Christian. And the thing is, and this is wonderful, those who appear the furthest may actually be the closest. I started checking up on this yesterday and uh, I discovered five uh, respected skeptics and atheists who set out to disprove Christianity and yet through their research actually became Christians. And one of the most fascinating is Sir William Mitchell Ramsey. And uh, Sir uh, Ramsey was a highly respected archaeologist back in the 1800s, so much so that he was knighted. He was from Scotland. He set out to prove the historical inaccuracies of, uh, of the book of Acts. And he thought that this book was the most ridiculous book in the New Testament. And uh, he spent 15 years researching and digging in the Middle East, trying to disprove what Luke had reported in the book of Acts. And he only wound up uh, being convinced of the tremendous accuracy of this particular book and converted to Christianity and called Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, the, the book that we're looking at today, this account is one of those that he set out to disprove that is just verified by a guy that set out to disprove it all false. One of the great, he, he called Luke, when it was all over, one of the greatest and most accurate historians that ever lived. Uh, and uh, he wrote several books on the subject, uh, which have yet to be refuted. His work caused an outcry from atheists because they had been eagerly awaiting his results because they knew 
that this was just going to just topple Christianity and just raise atheism to new heights. But his wound up, he wound up doing just the opposite. Well, Frank Morrison was an English journalist and author who set out to disprove the myth of Christianity over 80 years ago. And his book, Who Moved the Stone, is a classic that has led many people to Christ. Lee Strobel was an investig what do you call it? And and anyway, he was an investigative, I can't say the word today, investigative journalist. Anyway, he was a journalistic investigator. Let's I could say that. Journalistic investigator. And uh, he was from the Chicago Tribune. And he set out to disprove Christianity. And he wound up becoming a Christian. And he wound up uh, uh, creating uh, the book, first of all, The Case for Christ, and then a whole series of books, The Case for This, The Case for That. Josh McDowell, another, set out to write a paper in college. He was a law student, and he decided that he was going to expose Christianity as just a fairy tale. And so he tried to handle it like a trial and just present all the evidence and uh, just gather the evidence together. And he just knew that the evidence would uh, just topple uh, the whole thing of Christianity. And he wound up being so convinced by the evidence that he became a Christian himself and wrote an influential book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Andre Cole was a giant in the uh, world of magic, creating tricks of the for some of the greatest magicians in the world, uh, including making the Statue of Liberty disappear by David Copperfield. He was commissioned to study the miracles of the Bible to expose them as magic tricks and thus disprove the legitimacy of the Bible. And through his investigation, guess what? Andre Cole became a Christian and has since dedicated himself to spreading the gospel by the art of magic, performing in more countries than any other magician in the world. I cannot remember his name, but the current head of the institutes uh, for research, uh, the man who uh, broke the genetic code and finished up piecing together the human genome, he set out to disprove Christianity, one of the most renowned scientists in the world. And as he set out to disprove it, he became so convinced that he's now a follower of Christ. And now he says he sees God everywhere. He sees him in the map of the DNA. He sees a creator at work everywhere, all around. And he says that science and Christianity don't have to exclude each other if they'll give each other the respect they deserve. So uh, anyway, we, we see here are so many, and I can, you know, back during the great revival uh, in, or in early American history, I remember uh, reading in a book called Organizing to Beat the Devil. Uh, it was a history of the United Methodist Church. There were so many that would gather uh, at the revivals, the great outdoor uh, meetings that they'd have. 
There were guys that would gather uh, just to drink on the outskirts and make fun and hoorah these Christians that were gathered there and make fun of those that went down front. And several on several accounts, they wound up being just knocked over by the power of the Holy Spirit and becoming tremendous believers themselves. So just no matter how far away, I've heard several accounts, Catherine Kuhlman, people go there to debunk her and her healings and be healed themselves and wind up coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior because of that. So uh, they're just uh, uh, over and over and over again. We see those that appear to be so far, so far from Christ can wind up being his greatest advocates once they are willing to look at the evidence in a fair way. Wow. So, uh, but anyway, so that's number, the first thing I want to, uh, to share with you that I get from this story. Now, here's, uh, another thing. It's always God that makes the first move. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Lots of times we think that we make the first move, but let's face it. He made the first move on the cross while we were yet in our sins. He died for us. He always makes the first move. And here Saul is. Saul thought that he was pursuing God, but God was pursuing him. And that's the way it is with us. I was reading uh, about Chris Rock yesterday. Who, how, do y'all know, if you know who Chris Rock is, hold up your hand. He's pretty foul-mouthed comedian, but I was just reading this. He's funny, but uh, I was reading this uh, uh, article about him. He's coming back. He went through a rough time, and he's coming back. And one of the things, you know, his grandfather was a was a, a, a preacher. And one of the things that Chris Rock mentioned a couple of times in this interview was that he wanted to find God before God found him. And uh, I, I, I know what he meant by that. What he means by that, well, like, uh, uh, y'all ever watch the series on the History Channel alone? If you've watched that, let's see your, your hands. Sharon, bless your heart. Okay. Okay, these guys go out, 10 people go out in the wilderness, and they have to spend the last one standing. The last one, they, have, they can take 10 items with them, and it can't be a gun. And they have to go out in the wilderness and live without anybody around. The last one out there wins $500,000. The last episode of the second season, they stayed out there 67 days. The last person did. So, uh, but anyway, a lot of times the people wind up leaving when bears find them. You know, uh, uh, they'll see the bears across the river, high bear, you know, when they find the bear, that's okay. But when the bear finds them and it's, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you know, then they get all scared. And uh, this is kind of Chris Rock's view toward God. And he's wanting to, he, he knows that God has peace to offer him, but see, he's wanting to find God on his terms. But he wants to find him before God finds him. But uh, but the thing is, God always makes the first move. And uh, I, 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 this story really means a lot to me. 
because what happened to Saul is kind of like what happened to me. I was heading one way. I got very restless and unhappy with my life and the way things were in it, even though I was doing the right, I was doing what a guy in the world was supposed to do, but I was very unhappy with life itself. I had no peace and I had ever, I was successful in the eyes of the world, but inside I was empty. And then through a series, see, that's just it. It was a series of events leading up to the time where I encountered the Lord. But it was a series of events. One guy giving me a book to read that opened my eyes and helped me start seeing that there were things going on in a spiritual realm in this world that I wasn't even paying any attention to. And, and just so many things that happened along the way leading up to the moment to where finally I just cried out and said, Jesus, help me. It says, he, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I called on the name of the Lord and I was radically saved. I met him. I was transformed in an instant, just like Paul was transformed in an instant. And I know, I believe that uh, in a moment, Anyone can be changed because I have seen it happen in other people's lives over and over and over again. And so anyway, Saul is walking along and boom, out of nowhere, it seems he is confronted by Christ and he cannot see. And he very humbly says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And then this is really, really neat. Jesus says, make one move. Don't you hate it? He just gives you one step at a time. Don't you wish he'd give you the whole thing instead of just what the next step to take? Oh, I would love to know more than just the next move. But that's what he, he says. Now, get up and go into the city and I will, sh tell, will show you what you must do. And you will be told what you must do. Get up and go to the city and I'll tell you what to do. That's all he told him. And so here he couldn't see. He had to be led into the city so that he could be told what to do. And then this is another neat thing. It's wonderful how God orchestrates different people at different times and he brings things together at just the right moment. So here's Saul out here. Jesus appears to him and Saul's wandering in, going heading toward Damascus or wherever it was that he was headed. I can't remember where it was. Was it Damascus? Okay. So uh, anyway, he's heading there. That's right. It was the road to Damascus. Okay. So he was heading there and uh, the Lord speaks to Ananias. And he tells Ananias, I have something for you to do. I want you to go to a street called Straight. And there you're going to find a guy named Saul. And I want you to lay hands on him and pray for him. And you know what Ananias said? Lord, you must not have been reading the newspapers lately. You know, I mean, he's, he's heading this way right now with a warrant for my arrest. He's wanting to take me back to, to Jerusalem. And uh, he's, he's, he's persecuting your followers. 
And so then, I think this is interesting. He didn't tell Paul or he didn't tell Saul what he's going to do, but he tells Ananias that he's going to wind up suffering for him. And I think that made it okay for Ananias. Oh, okay, Lord. You know, but uh, <laughs> I think that he, that just kind of gave him a little bit of a incentive to go and tell him that. So uh, anyway, he goes. But see, Ananias has to take a step. And let's face it, it is a scary step. He's going to a guy who's been involved in the death of Christians. In obedience to the Lord, he is putting his entire life on the line. And he calls us to do that over and over again, doesn't he? Every day, we have to choose between him and the world. We put our life on the line. It may not be in a way like uh, uh, like this, where you physically might be in danger, but your reputation uh, might be in danger. You are you may wind up being uh, put in danger in different ways, as because uh, you may not look cool in the eyes of the world if you do what he wants you to do next. And so you wind up being you put your life on the line many times whenever. He has something for you to do. And so he takes, he, he takes that, that's painful, scary step. I appreciate Sharon so much because she is so obedient to the Lord. Whenever I was struggling and she didn't know where I was in all this stuff. And I didn't know where I was at that moment. It was at that time that in obedience to the Lord, she told me that unless I repented, I wasn't going to go to heaven. And she was right. She was so right. But that took a lot for a wife to tell her proud husband that. And she did. And that was one of the things that spurred me to really start examining my lack of faith. She was right. Later on, after I had gone through the day uh, I, the, or anyway, the writer at the same time that I was having my uh, encounter with the Lord that day, Sharon had made it clear to Sharon or, or the Lord had made it clear to Sharon that I was supposed to be a minister and she was supposed to tell me this. And so whenever I'm sitting that evening in one corner of the living room trying to figure out how to even start this conversation, she winds up calling me over. And saying, Joel, the Lord wants you to be a minister. And that was, you just think, we were doing well in the business world. And if I bit on that, it was going to change our world completely. And it did. It did. But Sharon was willing to be obedient to God. Now then. That's just it. And he just gives you one step at a time. You don't know how it's going to come about, but you're obedient and he shows you the next step. You're obedient and he shows you the next step. And oh, I just wish he just, sometimes I wish he told, but just what if he told Paul everything then? Okay. You're going to wind up preaching all over the world. You're going to found, establish churches everywhere. You're going to write one third of the New Testament. You're going to be put in prison. You're going to be stoned. You know, if he really told Paul all that was going to be happening to him, 
he would probably have said, uh, right, yeah, uh-huh, and just boogied, you know. But he didn't do that. But Paul or Saul and Ananias were both obedient step by step, and God's plans came to fruition. Now then, one thing I've learned, some of you may have been walking with the Lord. There may have been times when you could see him at work in your life. You could just see him so clearly at work in your life and you just were walking with him. And then, but now then something has happened and you can't hear him anymore. The lines are the communication just aren't there anymore. And you wonder what's happened. Well, I'll tell you what usually happens. What usually has happened is he gave you a step and you didn't take it. If you, like he may have told you, you need to work on a relationship with this person right here. It's not what it's supposed to be. And you may say, well, yeah, whenever they apologize to me, I'll do that, Lord. And then go on and you go on. And then his voice gets dimmer and dimmer till you can hardly hear him at all. And you know why? It's because he's back here. You've walked away from him. And what you're going to have to do to start hearing him again is go back to that last thing that he put out there for you to do that you did not do and do it and do it. And when you do that, amazingly, you're going to start hearing him again. And he will walk with you and talk with you and tell you you are his own. Isn't that the way the song goes? That's what will happen. Well, uh, that's uh, so if you've walked with him and you have been hearing him, it's not he hasn't gone away. You have. He's wanting you to come back and get back on track with him because there was something tied to that thing you were supposed to do that was tied into his plan for you and his plan for that other person or some other people that you don't even know about. And so he's waiting for you to get back on track. Well, anyway, the last thing I'd like to share with you is that whenever Paul or Saul obediently knelt before Ananias. And Ananias obediently laid his hand on Saul and began to pray. It says things like scales fell off his eyes and all of a sudden he could see. Before he had been blind spiritually and could see physically. Then he wound up being blind physically, but he could see spiritually. And now he's come to the place, now that he's walking in obedience to the Lord, to where he can see both physically and spiritually. And I think, you know, I mentioned it the first, one of the things that had blinded Paul was religion. You can start off well in church, going to church and doing what needs to be done. But some people, I've watched some people have wonderful experiences with the Lord 
and start out doing well and they get involved in church and they work and work and work in the church and they run off and leave the Lord and they're doing church work instead of the Lord's work. And it may be they're doing good things, but they're not listening to him. And it's that relationship that's important. You can run off and leave him with religion. That's what Saul did. And so I encourage you that if you're one of those that, uh, again, you started off well and you got more and more involved in church and you've wound up feeling further and further from God in church, go back to that last time you really listened and he gave you something to do that you didn't do. Start over with him. And then church, religion, and your relationship with the Lord can complement each other. They'll be the way they're supposed to be. Instead of being one who is just so involved in church that uh, that you forget God. And I've seen that happen so many times. I've served several churches where uh, flower ladies, the ladies that were in charge of the flowers, uh, they were they, they would just get so bent out of joint because somebody didn't do something right on the flowers of all things, you know, and just little things like that would put them at somebody else's throat. You know, that doesn't happen here. I'm not talking about anybody here, but uh, this sort of stuff happens to where people in church can be ugly toward each other because they've gotten involved in religion instead of their relationship with the Lord, where the Lord wants you to love one another. All of a sudden, people can find themselves religiously at each other's throats. So I want to encourage you, just remember that he made the first move. He went to the cross for you. And he did that after he created you and put you exactly where he put you. He has plans and purposes for you, and they are good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for uh, just making it clear that we can run off and leave you in our working for you. Forgive us, O God, if we have been those that have uh, uh, somehow uh, substituted things that are supposed to be serving you for you and help us to get back on track, if that's us, Lord, to where we're doing the things that you would have us do. Lord, if there's anybody here that uh, that uh, has just fallen by the wayside because they wouldn't do one thing and you're still waiting for them to get it done, I pray, oh Lord, that you would uh, uh, just uh, help them to see what it is, help them to get back on track with you so they can know the fullness and joy of walking with you once more. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.